MSW Media. The impeachment inquiry is pushing forward, but Donald Trump is ordering witnesses not to appear. Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. Patty, it's great to have you back. Thank you very much. And it's I, been a little busy for me, but uh, things keep getting crazier and crazier. So uh, On the campaign trail. Yeah. yeah, it's exciting. That's what I've been explaining every week. You're busy doing all that campaigny stuff. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, we've been hard at work just so just as a preview to everyone, we've been hard at work doing some stuff in the background to improve the podcast. We're going to be announcing that soon uh, because we uh, have uh, we, we very carefully read uh, and absorbed all of your comments in the listener survey. And we've also been absorbing a lot of news. Yes. Uh, it's been insane, right? I know. I have it. I, I have a, when I'm going uh, door knocking, I have a Bluetooth just playing like some of the interviews and things that are going on. And I'm like, and it, it happens, but things happen so quickly now. There's so much going on. So it's great that we're having this conversation. We can filter through the elements that really people want to know more about. Yeah, exactly. So today we have two different guests um, who are going to bring very different perspectives. Um, Sam Vinograd, she was an advisor to the National Security Council uh, under President Obama. She's also a CNN national security analyst. She has a lot of experience talking about all sorts of issues, but she's going to help us understand what this transcript is, the servers that were involved, uh, all this stuff that Trump's doing with the Kurds and why that matters uh, and how this is affecting uh, the State Department and U.S. foreign policy. And then we also have Congressman Mike Quigley. um, And Congressman Quigley is on the House Intel Committee, the committee that is leading the impeachment inquiry. And we're going to ask him all of your questions uh, about uh, inherent contempt and, you know, what they can do to move forward, uh, given the new stonewalling by the White House. So let's bring in our first guest. Welcome back to the podcast, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Quite a day to be on. Yeah, without a doubt. It seems like um, every day there's news. You know, just yesterday when I was talking to you about potentially being on the podcast, I'm like, well, you know, um, Trump has, you know, essentially offered up the Kurds to Turkey. Now North Korea um, is, uh, you know, engaging in missile tests. There's going to be all these foreign policy issues to talk about. And then today, um, there's just all of this breaking news uh, in the Ukraine um, impeachment inquiry where, you know, Trump is says that he ordered a witness not to appear and doesn't give a reason why. Essentially, other than this is all a witch hunt. Uh, We have a judge saying that the positions of the Trump administration are extraordinary. There's just, you know, thing after thing are, are happening. It seems like. Uh, there's a on a daily basis we're just being barraged with news, uh, particularly regarding this impeachment inquiry. I totally agree. And you're as a national security analyst, one of the clearest points you just referenced is how is this White House finding any time to work on actual national security issues? It was a hard sell convincing anyone that Trump engaged with his national security team before this happened. As you mentioned, he ostensibly agreed to sell out the Kurds, sell out our allies on the ground. And by the way sell out U.S. counterterrorism objectives by withdrawing our troops. They're there as part of our mission to uh, combat ISIS on the phone with Erdogan. Um, And, you know, amidst all of this, as he's rage tweeting about this impeachment inquiry, and as the White House is really doing everything it can to block and tackle witnesses that are being requested for depositions on the Hill and to deny subpoenas for documents, it is very unlikely that the national security team, the State Department, and others have time to actually focus on their day job. So from our enemy's perspective, now is kind of the best time to get up to as much misbehavior as possible and to try to manipulate the president. I don't you know, really think it's an accident that Erdogan struck while the iron was hot and spoke with President Trump and got him to agree to do something that is inimical to U.S. national security interests. 
The president is clearly even more distracted than usual. And if this goes forward, Renato, that's just going to get stronger. There is some reporting today that the impeachment inquiry may get broader than just Ukraine, which means that every part of the National Security Council could be impacted, whether it's the NSC lawyers uh, that uh, we've learned to try to cover up the president's transcripts, or the subject matter experts that are being brought into this. I mean, imagine being one of the NSC directors for Ukraine right now and trying to do your day job while all this is going on. You know, it, it, it seems to me that Trump is focused on with whatever's on Fox News, whatever's going on uh, in the media and on this investigation. He seems pretty obsessed with it and he's very focused on it. He's got his fingers in it. I mean, he's, you know, he, you know, he took credit himself for ordering um, this Ukraine envoy, former Ukraine envoy, or no, I think, excuse me, current U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine not to appear today, Sunland. And, you know, he is also, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that entire episode showed that, you know, his involvement in pushing our policy to Ukraine. I mean, in other words, our policy towards Ukraine is entire was entirely focused on his reelection. And I wonder at this point whether Trump is invested in U.S. foreign policy uh, in terms of moving our national interests forward, you know, in anything that isn't uh, tied to this reelection or to his uh, impeachment inquiry. You've shut the nail on the head. He's treated his whole presidency as a 2020 re-election campaign. And that's one of the issues that the impeachment inquiry is looking at, right? Whether he abused the power of his office for self-dealing, for self-interest. And he views U.S. national security objectives as secondary to whatever soundbite he's going to use, whether it be on Twitter or at campaign events, to say that he got a slam dunk. Look at something like our Syria policy in general. Regardless of the fact that military planners advised him against withdrawing uh, for, for, for forever, um, dating back years now, he decided to withdraw so that he can say he's, quote unquote, bringing troops home, even though our troops need to stay in Syria to advance counterterrorism objectives. With North Korea, he continues to say that everything's peachy, despite the fact that North Korea tested a more advanced missile last week. And when it comes to Ukraine, look, I think whatever country Rudy Giuliani whispers in his ear about, President Trump will or has engaged in self-dealing with. And the problem with that is when he publicly says China should investigate Biden, Ukraine should investigate Biden, all of our enemies know what it'll take to manipulate Trump, right? They know that if they come forward with some quote-unquote dirt on a political rival, they're in like Flynn. Bad pun, but I'll use it. General Flynn was fired from the White House. But that is the cost of doing business with the president. And because of that, our actual national security objectives aren't being pursued. You look at something like Ukraine. I have to tell you, Renato, why our ambassador to the EU was working on Ukraine in the first place, Ambassador Sondland, is beyond me. It's literally not part of his portfolio. His job is working with the European Union. Even former Special Representative Kurt Volker, his title, his, his uh, portfolio, still up on the, his bio is still up on the State Department web- website, was Special Representative for Ukraine Negotiations. Those negotiations were supposed to be between Ukraine and Russia with respect to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and ongoing conflict there. So the actual work with Ukraine uh, is being impacted by the president's um, re-election needs, and that's what the impeachment inquiry will look look at. And, you know, we know what the Ukraine transcript held. There's reporting um, that he talked about politics to Chinese President Xi Jinping. If he said publicly that China and Ukraine should investigate Biden— God help us all when it comes to what he said privately to Vladimir Putin on the phone or in one of their one-on-one meetings. I think what you just said there is it's really stark because what what you have is, you know, Trump should be focused on strengthening our relationship with the EU. We just heard, heard yesterday, I think New York Times did a great piece talking about, I think, Russian, systematic Russian effort to destabilize the European Union and to destabilize Europe more generally. Um, and instead of working on building that relationship, Trump is, has that guy in Ukraine trying to advance his own interests vis-a-vis Joe Biden. And then on another note, of course, the other guy, you know, what, what those negotiations would be to try to potentially, you know, find a way to ensure that, you know, Ukrainians, you know, territorial sovereignty is respected. And Trump doesn't seem interested in that at all. I mean, we, we saw recently that there was the, this, this release of um 
of you know other information that were in these call transcripts and what was reported i think it was by the washington post was that trump was very um you know um a uh, you know very uh, uh deferential to vladimir putin on the phone and praising him so you don't have somebody who's interested in really trying to you know have a negotiation that um is going to strengthen ukraine's hand vis-a-vis vis-a-vis russia although i suppose is he's only interested in doing that if if ukraine will play ball with his investigation of joe biden yeah and he was willing to withhold security assistance to ukraine which is used to deter further russian aggression if ukraine wasn't willing to engage in the investigations and i should stress investigations uh with ukraine in general should not be going through rudy giuliani we have official channels for that, but he was willing to put security assistance on hold, really to extort Ukraine if Ukraine wasn't willing uh, to do what he wanted. But Renato, the, the macro point here is sovereignty isn't really Trump's strong suit, whether it comes to Ukraine, whether it comes to the EU, or whether it comes to our own country. He has invited foreign election interference from the White House, uh, from sitting in the White House, I should say, from the residents of the White House spoke with the president of Ukraine and solicited a foreign campaign contribution in the form of dirt on Joe Biden. And, you know, presidents typically get election security threat matrices laying out all the threats to our elections. Never did I think that that threat matrix would ever include the president of the United States. He doesn't respect the territorial integrity of our country, let alone any other. Yeah, I, it's it's really um, un, it's really interesting to see Republicans trying to justify this. I mean, there's a lot of distraction. I know today we've seen a lot of discussion. You know, right there now they're calling um, the impeachment in Korea kangaroo court and focusing on process and procedure and all that sort of jazz. And the re, you know the the reality is that there's just it's to the underlying conduct. I don't think that there is any um, defense or there's any justification you can offer. In other words. Uh, you know, I wrote a piece about this in a column in uh, Politico recently that I think the Democrats would be wise to very to focus the inquiry on U- the Ukraine episode and the efforts to cover that up because it's it's indefensible on its face. But it's been interesting to see people try. We just saw, for example, uh, today uh, Rudy Giuliani was trying to compare. Uh, for example, President Clinton trying to push the UK to, um, you know, um, uh, you know, I think set, there was a strike to be settled or some some sort of you know dispute that would have helped U.S. companies because he said it's an election season. Um, that's not at all like getting foreign in, in a, you know foreign uh, uh, you know trying to get you know somebody to help your campaign to get by getting dirt on your opponent. I mean, what that is is advancing U.S. interests in a way that'll generate good news before the election uh, and. But I think they're trying to confuse the issues as much as possible because I don't I, I would like to think that Americans couldn't really defend um, what Trump actually did. You're exactly right. The kind of false equivalency, equivalency efforts don't pass the laugh test. And furthermore, even if somebody else had done something wrong in the past, how in any way does that excuse the current president from any misbehavior? Right. Two wrongs don't make a right. But to your to the earlier point, they're mixing apples and oranges uh, nonstop, and they can throw the whole fruit basket at us. But it doesn't change the fact that the president has solicited a foreign campaign contribution from at least one country, or that the State Department, uh, the White House, and perhaps others were involved in uh, abuses of power unto themselves and um, trying to cover up evidence of a crime. And you, you know the the um, that the president is fixated on uh, Ukraine, uh, and this is a conspiracy theory, but Ukraine helping Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election cycle. Well, he literally asked Ukraine to help him during this election cycle. So the whole thing is nonsensical, but this is the best that they best that they have right now, and they're throwing potential defense strategies against the wall like like spaghetti. And, you know, I served under President Bush and then under President Obama. I cannot for the life of me understand how any elected official could try to excuse the president uh, engaging in this kind of behavior, especially um, those who sit in key positions like on Senate Judiciary um, and elsewhere. You know, Lindsay, Senator Lindsey Graham earlier today invited Rudy Giuliani to come testify on corruption in Ukraine. Well, what, you know, the, the very fact that the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee is asking the president's personal investigator, POTUS's PI, to come and testify rather than going inviting actual experts to come and testify just really shows for whatever reason 
How the president has managed to get Republicans into his back pocket is inexplicable. And what it does is just open the door for our entire process of government, our national security process, their elections to be manipulated by foreign powers. And Trump's okay with that as long as he perceives it helps him. Yeah, I think one you know very broad question that a lot of people have, and I'll explore this more a little more with our next guest, but I want to kind of raise this issue here is a lot of uh, folks are like, you know, why, you know, why won't, why, you know, why can't something to be done, be done? Why aren't there any consequences for Trump? And one kind of high level point I want to make for people um, and just so everyone understands is that the reason that people follow the law generally is because they believe that there's going to be some consequence if they don't. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons why, but that's a, I'd say if you're going to, If you want to boil it down to one thing, that's that. And for most of us, there are consequences. And I think for the president of the United States, there would usually be consequences for not following the law. I think what happened today was really extraordinary um, in Trump saying that he himself, you know, ordered Sondland not to appear. And he didn't offer any reason for doing so. In other words, it's not because um, there's, you know, that the House doesn't have authority or that this is there's some privilege or anything. He's just is saying, ah, it's all a witch hunt and it's all biased. So I'm not going to I'm not I'm going to tell him not to show up. And it to me, it's really the first time that I in my that I can recall a president essentially saying the rules don't apply to me. The laws don't apply to me. Uh, I'm not going to play by the rules. It's almost like, you know, in a we all watch, you know, in the sporting event, whether it's football or basketball or soccer, you know, sometimes one team will run out the clock. Well, it's it's not, you know, and the, you do that within the bounds of the rules. You come up with, excuse, you know, in, in here it might be coming up with excuses or having a, a lawsuit that argues about privilege. But to literally um, to literally say, well, the rules don't apply to me and I don't care, that's kind of like saying, well, the shot clock doesn't apply to me, the game clock doesn't apply to me, I'm not playing by the game. And uh, it's a pretty dangerous thing. Yeah, we typically we typically call people that act like that dictators. Um, and yeah. in this country, we we sanction other countries for that kind of behavior. It seems pretty evident that President Trump is engaging in obstruction of justice. Ambassador Sondland spoke with President Trump um, after receiving a text message from a career State Department official saying that quid pro quos were not the way the U.S. does business. Ambassador Sondland spoke with Trump, so. Um, Trump is personally intervening to stop testimony that likely implicated him. And to your point, the problem is, so what happens now? You know, if, if this is, seems to me, I'm not a lawyer, but it to be a pretty clear case, case of obstruction. So the House um, proceeds with the inquiry, it gets to the Senate, and the Senate says nothing to see here. Um, and that's, you know, that's really the issue. And I also think that the White House is throwing up as many roadblocks as possible. And you're right, this is going to get bogged down in litigation and access to documents and witness testimonies and this and that. And I do think Trump is trying to run out the clock. I think he's trying to run it out to, uh, until the 2020 election um, in the hopes that he gets gets to the election, wins again, and can continue to act even more like a dictator. Um, the question is, of course, will public opinion shift such that members of Congress have no choice but to move forward with impeachment, whether they're Republican or Democrat. If they're not motivated by patriotism, maybe they're motivated by self-interest and know that they will suffer consequences in terms of their own political futures if they don't do do what's right. Yeah, I have to say I, I'm not um, uh, holding my breath waiting for Senate Republicans to hold Trump accountable in some way, although there appears to be some change. I know that there's been some polls that came out today that showed that public opinion changed. Um, I will say that, you know, to, to go to the point you just made, Sam, which was really, I think, on target, um, you know, about the delay, you know, I think what what Republicans really want to have happen here is for this to drag out past the Iowa caucuses, past New Hampshire, and get to a point where they can just say, you know, this, this inquiry is ongoing during an election season. You know, it's kind of a moot point. Let's just let the American people decide. It gives them a way out uh, without defending his behavior. So I think... Democrats are trying to move this forward as quickly as possible. Republicans are trying to slow it down. And that's why they're willing to do anything to get, you know, slow this down, get into a court fight. And we saw Jim Jordan today say that the Democrats are acting in haste. Uh, I think that that's a lot of what this is about. I couldn't agree more. And again, while all of that's happening, the president of the United States still has the nuclear codes and still sitting in the Oval Office. 
Um, and so while all of this unfolds, every foreign relationship is impacted by this. I wrote a piece for CNN last weekend where I asked the question, who's willing to work with this White House still? If you are a foreign counterpart that believes in democratic values and the rule of law, why on earth would you engage with a cast of characters that so clearly engages in corruption? And I say that because it's, going, it's so damaging in terms of the uh, breadth and depth of work we're going to be able to do with the kinds of countries we want to work with. All the wrong people are going to be calling President Trump right now, right? All the leaders that are okay with aiding and abetting his corruption and manipulating him are going to be the ones calling, calling up to the White House right now. Um, and he's going to continue taking their calls and using them as his uh, shadow national security council and really imperiling uh, American national security further. And some of the work that we need to do, again, just on Ukraine alone, is so critical. Critical. You and I have talked about this, but we have hundreds of people that work on combating corruption around the world, including in Ukraine. And instead of using those instruments, the president, Sondland, Mulvaney, the National Security Advisor, Pompeo, Volcker, and who knows who else are using Rudy Giuliani. Still, we have no indication that Rudy Giuliani has been cut off from his conspiracy uh, fishing expedition. We have no indication that he is still you know, not conducting this work. And that's all still ongoing. And again, President Trump's still sitting there with the nuclear codes, which certainly doesn't make me feel better at night. Before we uh, wrap up, I want to make sure, Sam, that uh, we address uh, a comment by one of our Twitter followers because Renato, of course, had posted, you know, do you have any questions about the situation in Trump's foreign policy? And someone wrote, does he have a foreign policy? How would you frame it? How would you frame uh, Trump's foreign policy and, and how we relate to the rest of the world? Trump's foreign policy is dictated by two things. One is his perception of what will get him reelected, um, whether that is soliciting foreign campaign uh, contributions, sticking to sound, point, sound bites that hold no reality. So, for example, saying we have a great relationship with Russia or we're proceeding, you know, our relationship with North Korea is doing great. That's bucket number one. And then bucket number two is whatever foreign leaders are able to do to manipulate him. So you look at something like this Syria decision. This was made because Erdogan told him it should be made. Rather than listening to his own military advisors and foreign policy team, he listened to Erdogan. And again, this isn't the first time. Um, and then tweeted about how, you know, troops in Syria are too expensive, just like he's tweeted that troops in Japan are too expensive in South Korea and what have you. So foreign leaders know what it takes to manipulate President Trump. They can talk about Democrats, they can talk about cost, um, and that sort of thing. And again, because he is motivated by self-interest and not by national security, he's so easily manipulated by all of that. And those, I think, are the two guiding principles of Trump's foreign policy. So there's no strategy. The strategy, strategy is just about self-preservation for the president rather than actual foreign policy objectives. One thing um, that I want to get your um, take on, Sam, is that what a lot of us call it the transcript of that call between Trump and the Ukrainian president. I mean, it's not actually a transcript. And what I'm wondering, first of all, are you familiar with those with the, that type of document? And can you just give us a sense of what that is? A lot of people have suggested that there's some things missing from that or there's a portion missing. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that uh, theory as well. Well, what I would say to anyone wondering if anything's missing is what's publicly out there is damning enough. And I'll circle back to whether anything's missing. But what we what we have in front of us is bad enough. Yes, I'm very familiar with these documents, and I can just quickly walk through the process. But for any head of state call or even when the National Security Advisor makes the call, there are staff in what we call the White House Situation Room who take notes in real time. There's normally two to three of them so that they can compare notes afterwards, but they are literally writing down everything that either leader says on a secure line. So normally, if, even if some a foreign leader coughs, that's recorded. If there's something that's inaudible, normally you put brackets and put inaudible. They take those notes, then they send them to anyone else who's on the call to proofread for accuracy, not to cut stuff out, but to proofread for accuracy. Then that final readout is... Um, circulated to a small group of folks. It normally includes the National Security Advisor, Chief of Staff, Vice President, 
any cabinet official that's named on the call, like in this case, A.G. Barr, and typically the Secretary of State and uh, the Director of National Intelligence. It also, by law, has to be stored for the public record. The Presidential Records Act requires that. And typically, it's stored on what we call JWICs, or the top secret server um, uh, at the White House. That server can handle anything up to kind of what we call top secret SCI level, specialized compartmentalized information. It is stored there, um, and only people that are authorized to review it get to review it. What we learned happened is that this readout or transcript or whatever we're going to call it was moved to a different server, a code word server. And what code word means is once you get above a top secret level, you have what we call compartments. Um, in intelligence. They're highly classified. They normally relate to covert action and um, special access programs, um, foreign surveillance and that sort of thing. And you have to be what we call read into those compartments, only need to know you have to sign documents. It's a very small group of people. The code word server is only used for communications related to code word content. By moving the readout, which we know is never code word, to this code word server, it would restrict the amount of people that could physically access it. You, only a very small group, a relatively small group of people have access to the code word server. And what the NSC lawyers were really doing was trying to hide it and trying to make sure that more eyes were not put on it. It's an abuse of the classified system. There was no reason why it should be on that code word server. And it was trying to cover up what looks like criminal activity, which makes it even, even more egregious. We have also learned that other readouts or transcripts, or as we used to call them, memcons, memorandums of conversations, were moved to this code word server, uh, again, to, to hide them and to restrict access. We don't know if they also include potential criminal activity or abuses of power by the president. But the point I'll, I'll end with is, even if we move these to the code word server, the damage is already done. Um, people on the other end of the line, the foreign government, already knew what President Trump said, right? They already knew that he uh, asked uh, for a quid pro quo and asked for a favor and that sort of thing. So foreign governments know what the president is doing. They know what he said. And hiding the stuff on a secure server doesn't doesn't change history. Um, the question now, of course, is whether Congress will be successful in trying to subpoena access to these readouts on the secure server. Um, there obviously will be legal challenges to that, but I think that that would be a likely next step for the impeachment inquiry. I agree. I do, and I also anticipate that there will be a big fight, and I would be surprised if the White House did anything other than stonewall, uh, in you know, regarding the production of those memoranda. I, you know, you mentioned that it's an abuse of the uh, of of the classification system. You know, to a casual uh, listener, they might think, "Okay, well, no harm, no foul, right?" So, can you just uh, explain why it is that that's problematic? Sure. There's an executive order, EO one three five two six, and I'm just going to summarize here. But basically, it says you cannot classify something in order to cover up a crime or to prevent embarrassment to someone. So. If these documents were moved to the code word server in order to do that, that's violating the executive order, which I think Renato, and correct me if I'm wrong, should have the force of law. Overclassifying something should not be a tool and is not supposed to be a tool, again, to prevent embarrassment or to cover up wrongdoing. Classification is used to prevent harm to national security. Now, violating an EO is probably the least of President Trump's uh, transgressions at this point. But it's, it's still uh, worth noting. Um, and the other issue here is how many members of the intelligence community, by doing this, by moving it to the code word server, President Trump implicated in potential criminal activity. This code word server is typically only accessed by members of the intelligence community. And by moving it over there to hide it, it is quite possible that he abused power at multiple steps by directing potentially NSC lawyers to move the transcript to to getting a member of the intelligence director at the National Security Council to transfer this document to the code word server. There are multiple steps that have to, you know, that have to happen to move the document there. And again, it's worth noting, but in the publicly released transcript, the original classification is on there. It's secret, no foreign, or con. Um, and it, it, the no foreign and the or con just have to do again with the secret level classification. Um, 
what that shows us again is that this was never classified at a covert level. It was classified at a secret level, which means it should it should have been housed on the server I referenced uh, previ- previously, which is at the top secret level. Right, and secrets below top secret in the classification system. Exactly. Yeah, it's a low. It's a pretty low classification. So, and I will just kind of I would just add and to comment on that is that that. You know, generally, when people are going out of their way to hide something, it indicates an evidence of, that there's that they think that there's something wrongful about the conduct or embarrassing or problematic about the conduct. Certainly, evidence that I think the house is going to look at. I think you're right, Sam, that that's something that the house is going to be focused on. Um, before we go, I'll just say as a last question, I know you have some of your own thoughts that um, you know you've been, you're 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 writing some more stuff that's going to come out. I'm curious. What do you want our, our listeners to know and be looking for, you know, going forward? I think um, a really macro point, because there's going to be a lot of gaslighting going on about this, is, you know, the president is now saying that he's just saying all this because he cares about corruption. Obviously, that's quite hypocritical coming from a president who is still financially benefiting from um, Trump, Inc., and whose children are doing the same and who has wants to hold the G7 at his personal re- uh, resort. But leaving that elephant in the room aside for a second... There are official channels for conducting U.S. government business. Those official channels include working on corruption. There's an entire bureau at the State Department called INL that works on corruption. We have a Department of Justice here in the United States that investigates Americans where there's a predicate for criminal activity and for abuse of, uh, and for things like corruption. The administration, instead of engaging official channels, went around them largely because there was no basis for any of the claims that they were making. So if there was a case against Joe Biden, the Department of Justice would be investigating Joe Biden. If there was corruption in Ukraine, acting ambassador in Ukraine, a guy named Bill Taylor who showed up in these text messages, could have worked on corruption in Ukraine through official channels. And it's just really important to remember that all of these guys moonlighting as the president's campaign surrogates really are not how the U.S. government is supposed to function because what they're doing again is helping the president engage in self-dealing rather than representing the American people. And, you know, I'm not a political analyst, but every American should really think long and hard about whether they want a president who is willing to go around the system that he's supposed to be commander in chief of solely uh, to service his own ego and his political needs. Wow. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with that, Sam. I, I I appreciate you coming on. I mean, you have just so much insight, such a unique perspective. We don't have a lot of foreign policy, national security experts uh, that come on, so we really appreciate when you do. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great rest of the day. So now let's bring in Congressman Mike Quigley. He's a congressman from Illinois who sits on the House Intelligence Committee. He's part of the. Uh, group that is uh, working on this impeachment inquiry, and he can give us an inside view into how the inquiry is moving forward and what steps they're going to take in response to the stonewalling from the White House. Welcome back to the podcast, uh, Congressman Quigley. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be back. Thank you. Um, Looking forward to it again. So I have to say, uh, from the last time that that we spoke, I mean, your committee, the the House Intelligence Committee, uh, House Special, uh, so, uh, you know, Permanent Committee on Intelligence, has suddenly has this very central role in this impeachment inquiry. Um, you are now it is being run out of your committee. Uh, how has that changed the work that you're doing uh, in Congress? Well, uh, we spent three years uh, on the Russian investigation. Uh, which is far from complete. Uh, It's important to note that uh, what's in the special counsel's report is important. What's not is uh, uh, equally important. Uh, Clearly, the special counsel didn't interview the president. Special counsel didn't uh, follow the money or deal with money laundering. Uh, And I still think that's critical. Uh, That has been pushed into the uh, background to a degree, and we are spending a great deal of our time involved in uh, the recent issues involving Ukraine because of their magnitude and their timeliness. In my mind, and this is something I wrote a column recently about this in Politico, I, these, the, this Ukraine episode to me is such um, 
so it kind of stands alone amongst potential uh, avenues of, for impeachment because it's so easy for people to understand. You can explain it in 20 seconds to somebody. And it's also clearly wrong on its face. Uh, I, it's very hard for me to see what the defense of this conduct is. And that's why what we're seeing is a lot of distractions about the process. I mean, right. It's easy to say that the president muscled an ally of vulnerable ally who is at war with one of our greatest adversaries. And he enlisted uh, the Department of Justice to help in the matter. And, and, and now we see in the after effects and the cover up uh, the State Department as well. Uh, so you, you, you see Republicans for the first time saying, if, if not outright condemning it, coming out and saying that I wouldn't have done this. This is a bad idea. It's not ideal. You know, I guess it's a start. And for most Americans, you can see in the polling numbers uh, that this is changing. Plus, the president's reaction since this came out and additional the text information, for example, uh, I think has also brought this to the public's attention. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that really happened um, that I think changed the tenor of all this um, is the release of that transcript uh, by the White House, as well as the release of the whistleblower complaint, because really you could there to, in my mind that alone establishes what Trump did. It's his own words uh, that are written right there. So it's hard to dispute what happened. Well, I still, you know, uh, earlier today, uh, the, the uh, witness refused to show up, was not allowed to show up by the White House, the EU ambassador. And I heard the Republicans criticize this, challenging again the credibility of the whistleblower, the president echoing this, how the operation is run. At this point, the whistleblower is three for three. Uh, the call summary matches the complaint. Uh, we do know there was a cover-up. Uh, they acknowledge that uh, the audio part of the call was put into uh, a secret server and that the, the OMB was told back military aid. Um, so, and the fact that the person involved with this, the inspector general is a 16 year prosecutor, a Trump appointee found the person, the whistleblower to be, uh, the issue to be urgent and the whistleblower and the complaint to be credible, but we're, you're going to continue to hear this. You're going to continue the, the attack. The administration has almost begun to, to pivot a defense from uh, it didn't happen to um, a combination of attacking or it really wasn't a crime. Yeah, I have to say the original the original thing was, OK, this didn't really happen. It was a perfect call that 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 didn't go anywhere. Then it was, well, there's no firsthand information that really didn't fly because the transcript spoke for itself. And the text speak to it. Sure. Oh, for sure. The texts are damning as well. Um, and then. Um, you also had this line of, well, it is not a crime. And that's what I tried to address. I wrote a column saying this isn't bribery extortion. It's worse than that. And it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think it benefits anyone to get in these technical debates of whether it fits the federal bribery statute. I don't think that that matters. I mean, we've gotten past that stage. And I think what we're getting down to now is just complaints about the process. And, you know, there's an old lawyer saying, and I know you were, a, you know, a trial lawyer yourself for many years. If you have the facts, you pound the, the facts. If you have the law, you pound the law. And if you don't, you pound the table. And I think that's where we're at, uh, where they're just complaining about the uh, House impeachment process. You know, and they, and they attack the chairman of the Intelligence Committee because he is uh, – more than anyone, the face of the investigation as it goes forward. It is still complicated and layered and textured because much of the information we're talking about could uh, fall into the classified files, and that makes this even more difficult. Uh, what what the committee is trying to do is let the public know as much as we possibly can um, given those circumstances and the fact that the administration has while they said initially nothing was wrong, it's interesting because they they blocked the complaint from coming out and the whistleblower from coming to Congress, uh, and they covered it up. Now uh, they're stopping other people, including the U ambassador, from testifying or the documents from coming forward. So you know, if this was a nothing burger 
why are they acting like it's a nuclear bomb? That's right. I, I mean, I think that they know that this is serious business. And I have to say, um, Congressman, the one thing that disturbed me today, and I'm probably the only person who found this the most disturbing thing today, but one thing that disturbed me was that when Trump said publicly, tweeted that he ordered that whistleblower, directed that whistleblower, or not the whistleblower, excuse me, directed the Ambassador Sondland, the EU ambassador, the ambassador to the EU, not to appear, he did not offer any legal reason for it. In other words, he didn't say there's some sort of executive privilege or there's some sort of legal excuse. He basically just said, oh, it's all a witch hunt. It's a kangaroo court, so we don't have to comply with our obligations. And that appears to be the new White House line going forward. Not that there's some sort of legal reason, how bog- no matter how bogus it is, that it has to get litigated in court, but just that, well, we don't comply with the rules. We don't comply with the law. We're not playing by the same game that everyone else in America plays by. And as maddening as all of that is, uh, we on the other side have to play by the rules. It's our only recourse. Uh, It does not pay to be as bad as this administration would hard to be. I don't think our conscience would let us do that. So our only recourse is through the process. And as maddening and frustrating, as timely as that can be, uh, they're going to be subpoenaed. I think that will draw many of these witnesses, but not all. But to get the balance of the documents and the people who need to testify before this committee is going to take going to court. And I know folks, oh, well, that's going to take too long. You know, I would like to think that um, the urgency of this and the national prominence of this, uh, courts don't live in a vacuum and they understand, and we need to understand, I believe, the national security implications of this uh, so that we can move much quicker. Folks have said, uh, you know, how long are you going to let this go? I I don't want (laughs) to, I want to go back to normal business. I'm not sure that will happen in this administration, Um, but we will move this as fast as we can. We will be deliberate with urgency if that's at all possible. Well, one concern that I've had, you know, is looking at when the House Judiciary was investigating and it was stymied. You know, litigation takes months. Uh, you, you're a litigator. You know uh, how that process works. You know, what I have the message I've been seeing from Chairman Schiff is we're going to just keep going with our inquiry and we'll just take all these as potential obstruction of Congress counts. But we're not we're moving forward. We're not going to delay. Do you think that there's going to be a delay for to wait for courts to catch up? I think the courts will catch up as we move forward. We're not going to stop while the courts are deliberating. There's plenty of evidence here. There's plenty of witnesses. And this is a president who never commits a crime once. Uh, We know now that he has talked to uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia, China, uh, Australia, um, all saying basically the same sort of thing. So uh, it's hard for me to imagine that given what's taking place now, we won't have further evidence of further uh, efforts by this president. I I guess the other reason it's so important to move forward, and I don't have a problem talking about it in the uh, formal impeachment inquiry or votes, that's up to the the speaker, is this is a president, this call with Ukraine took place right after the special counsel, Mueller, testified to Congress. He references it. He is clearly of a mind that uh, if he is not held accountable, he's going to take his crimes to the next level. So uh, I don't think there's going to be any hesitation. Uh, I think there'll be others who come forward. My job, as I see it, is to gather that evidence and to protect the whistleblower or whistleblowers. And then before we get to some listener questions, I do want to ask you, you know, it seems to me that Democrats are in some ways in a bit of a race against the clock. And Republicans realize this. They want to delay as much as possible because the election season's coming. And if this, you know, if the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary come around, there's going to be an argument that Republicans can say that, hey, we, we're just going to vote no and not consider this because we're in the middle of an election season. I mean, do you do, do you feel that way? Do other members feel that there's an urgency to get this done before we get into the thick of the elect, election season? I think we need to get it done for a variety of reasons, but I, I can't be a party to letting them 
slow this process and succeed. Crimes were committed. I, I, I look at it the other way. I don't see how this helps their party. Uh, the last couple weeks have not been good to the president in terms of the, how the public has viewed this, the news that's coming out, uh, and how it's going to affect the Republican Party as a whole. I think that's why you see the beginnings of cracks and fissures, why the Senate voted unanimously uh, to demand that the uh, complaint be returned to Congress. So I, I think they're playing a dangerous game as well if they imagine that this isn't hurting them. Maybe it's not hurting them with their core base. But as you know, this last election was won in three states by, what, 78,000 votes. Wilson, Woodrow Wilson had said most campaigns are won by 5 to 6% in the middle. Uh, they can't be doing well with that middle with this news. Uh, and as you say, the obvious problems um, that people would have with what the president did in Ukraine and continues to do with the obstruction. So at the final analysis, you have to have faith. We're going to play by the rules with as much urgency as we possibly can. I do believe it's starting to work as frustrating as it can be. There's a listener's obvious, obviously you can, you've just touched on something that people are frustrated and anxious. And uh, one of our, our listeners says, it seems that Dems are treading too lightly in this investigation and, and, perhaps are letting folks walk, walk all over them. They ask, uh, why won't they hold anybody in contempt or, and have them dragged out by a marshal? <laughs> so, so you can see people want to be a little more aggressive. Sure. Uh, where do you take them? And my argument uh, that in the end it goes to court anyway, let's just say you brought back something we haven't had for almost 100 years, a congressional jail. Uh, anybody taken into custody is going to get a writ immediately, and it's going to go to court. So um, I, all I can tell you is I, I share the frustration. It has been almost three years since I sat in a briefing where we were among the first to be informed that the uh, Russians were uh, attacking the democratic process. It was uh, August of 16 in which the Illinois State Board of Elections were hacked. Um, a lot of people are working, have been working a long time, will continue to to get to the bottom of this. Circumstances are different uh, as it, than they were under Watergate. Um, you've got a president who uh, I seriously wonder will ever follow the rules. Today he said, um, no more Mr. Nice Guy, which well, what the hell does that mean? And I'm, I'm afraid he's capable of almost anything, and, uh, and that includes, uh, I fear, defying court orders. So the constitutional challenge is here. Uh, I think it will get worse. And all I can tell you is the, some of the best and brightest are working as hard as they can on it. And uh, no one wants to tread lightly uh, with this administration's wrongdoings. Yeah, I will say um, last week on this podcast, uh, Asha Rangappa and I, our guest from last week, uh, we're, you know, we're talking about all the reasons why inherent contempt doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, you point out there's nowhere to put these people. Congress doesn't have a facility to put them. Uh, it's also unclear to me that the, the, um, the, uh, marshal, uh, or, you know, or the, I should say, or the Capitol police, any of the, any of them have any offensive capabilities to be going out and, you know, heading out there and effectuating arrests of this manner. It's just not what they do. It's not what they're equipped to do. Um, and as you point out, a, a point I hadn't thought about, certainly there would be litigation that would very quickly follow from that, although I imagine the leverage would change if somebody's held in custody. But, you know, the bottom line is I don't see that as a practical solution, but somebody on television must be talking a lot about inherent contempt uh, because it keeps getting I keep getting questions about it every week, no matter how many times that I say that I don't think that that is a realistic option. But a lot of our listeners asked about it, so I'm glad that we had a chance to discuss it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of folks that that are are concerned about uh, also the the uh, WhatsApp. Yeah, so there, of that. Yeah, right. the, in other words, that the fact, uh, Mike, that they that they were using the non secured uh, right. I mean, because everyone was so upset about Hillary Clinton. There's so many things that people are frustrated about, and uh, they want to know why you know folks are using WhatsApp and when everyone was so angry about unsecured avenues of communication before. Well, the special counsel detailed how. Uh, 
Trump associates were communicating with Russians using such devices um, and getting rid of this information as quickly as possible. Obviously, if there's no crime, you wonder what's the issue. Um, the the problem here is they obviously they knew what they were doing was was wrong. They were doing it to benefit uh, the, the president of the United States, and they're withholding um, either a meeting at the White House or uh, U.S. assistance to a country that's at war. So uh, you want people doing the right thing using secured communications. That's how uh, the intelligence community. That's how diplomacy works. Uh, any any useful device that protects communication could be used for illicit purposes. So I, I think it's easy to distinguish between the two. Uh, what we've seen this White House do is is use secure devices or devices that will just you know not allow you to get this information because they were doing something wrong. Uh, so uh, it's it's just what we're dealing with in a modern technology world. And another question uh, that a listener has, if Trump is impeached but not removed and then again does something to endanger national security, can impeachment be brought again or removal reconsidered again in the Senate? Uh, Well, I guess in short, yes, um, because uh, there could be separate crimes. But now, as you know, we're, we're talking new territory here. Um, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I thought I knew a lot about all these things, but I find myself asking a lot of other folks, and I know they're, they're doing research. I, I think there's a way to describe this. I'm not sure that the Constitution was written for a president like this. Um, I think that we live under a Constitution, and and the, the law, the rule of law. Um, but nowhere in the Constitution are there certain democratic norms and senses of decency. Uh, because if, if you want to violate, violate those, uh, you're in trouble anyway. So um, I'm as concerned as anyone uh, about the Constitution being violated, uh, uh, about things being stretched. But uh, and we're going to be tested on all those things. But I think one of the things we've learned, and we have to make sure we're electing people who care about this, is um, I think the democratic norms are more important uh, in the final analysis uh, be- because the sense of a cult of personality can push away all those and uh, really threaten it. Uh, the real threats to democracy are, are something we would let happen. Yeah, I, you know, Congressman, I, I agree with you completely that this the Constitution is not um, is not really set up for a situation like this where you have a president basically testing the limits of his power, trying to push the limits of his power. It seems to me that Trump basically is is going to do whatever he he doesn't have a consequence for do, for doing. In other words, if there's no consequence to him doing something, he's going to do it. He's going to continue to push the envelope. And under our constitutional system, the president has broad powers and impeachment is the remedy for a lot of them. And if you have a system in which uh, a group of senators are not going to hold him accountable, um, and then really uh, it is very hard to rein him in. I, I guess if I had some sense, I saw just the figures that I referenced earlier. I also, and it's it's a dangerous interplay here. Uh, there's a little part of me that looks at the, the the Republican pushback for the actions the president is taking involving Syria and other foreign policy issues, the Open Skies Treaty, uh, where I'm hoping at least a few more could be peeled off, saying uh, this isn't. This isn't the president who's making rational decisions. Uh, I guess what I'm saying he's not winning any friends on the Republican side by his foreign policy actions of the last week. Yeah, I noticed that even evangelicals, for example, were really condemning his actions with the Kurds and so forth. You know, I wonder. Um, you know, I, I wonder with this. Um, you know, wh- whether or not there's 
really uh, uh, one-shotted impeachment. In other words, one thing I've heard, you know, legally you were asked the question a minute ago, can this get brought up in the Senate? Well, sure, you can impeach a president multiple times. Yeah, never... That was a legal answer. Exactly. The legal answer is you can. Of course you can. And uh, you can impeach the president. Yeah, all along what I said is maybe you get one shot at impeachment the, in the, from a realistic sense. Um, and uh, again, as you suggested earlier, we're pressed for time on all this. None of this is is easy. It's totally unprecedented. It's extremely dangerous in many respects, and it has to be done the right way. What do you make of Republic of Republican and Trump attacks that somehow the process in the House is unfair? That you are, you know, the the, the protecting the idea uh, identity of the whistleblower is wrongful and so forth. When I talk about the intelligence community to students, um, I, I talk about the the inherent conflict of having what's basically a, a secret operation. The intelligence community operates largely in secret to keep us safe. Uh, so there's that tension there already. Uh, it only works in a democratic system of government if you have congressional oversight, as we've seen in uh, you know, since the inception of the intelligence community after World War II, it only works if they have solid congressional oversight and a whistleblower system that, that works. Uh, if you don't have a whistleblower system that works, two, two bad things can happen. Leaks, which are not good, they uh, endanger people, they endanger us, sources and methods keep us less, makes us less safe. Um, and uh, wrongdoing and criminal activity goes unpunished. So uh, when you challenge it and when you threaten whistleblowers and you create such a chilling impact on them, uh, you're doing more than just impacting that situation. You're threatening our national security, you're threatening people's lives, and you're making us less safe. Yeah, I have to say, one thing that concerns me is the safety of this whistleblower, the safety of other whistleblowers who are coming forward. Uh, I, I think that that's a very significant concern, given that uh, the president of the United States has been trying to out this person, has been, you know, suggesting that, you know, he or she be treated like a spy. And, you know, we used to treat spies, that sort of thing. No, it puts us all at risk. I, I think there are members who, who recognize this as a threat to whistleblowers. And the fact that many of us are in the public forum, that the, the president is inciting this. It's uh, uh, I, I guess the last way I'd respond to the president is his two appointees. The inspector general, is a, uh, I, I have uh, heard him testify twice now, as straight an arrow as you're going to have, found this um, complaining witness to be credible and, the, and, that, and more importantly said that the whistleblower followed all the rules, did all the right things. And his acting director of national intelligence, again, testified publicly that this whistleblower did everything the right way, and it's important that they be allowed to do this. So his own people disagree with him. The fact that the Senate unanimously voted to have the complaint brought to Congress, we just need more Republicans to show some courage, some profiles in courage. The most prominent so far are being those that have left Congress or are leaving Congress. Uh, they need to step up here at this critical time. What is it in your vantage point, as somebody who's in the cloakroom, who's in on the floor of the House, interacting at times with Republican members of Congress? What's your sense of what could potentially move these people? Is it just their um, the poll numbers, the underlying poll numbers? Is that all really what it's all about? Um, I think for some, <clears throat> it might be. <laughs> They get past their primary or they get past filing for their primaries. So, yeah, polling numbers and how it affects them politically. Uh, they understand that, especially in their districts, Republican districts and primaries, if they step out against this president, you know, they're a former member. Um, I get that. It reminds me, though, <clears throat> President Obama, the last time uh, before the health care 
Obamacare bill was voted on over 10 years ago now, he came to Democratic caucus asking members to vote for the health care law. And I say, he said, I know it's a tough vote, and I know it can endanger you politically. I mean, Bill Foster lost his election because he voted for it. But you got to ask yourself, why did you come here in the first place if not to do the right thing? Um, you know, we need moments like that. I, I couldn't agree more. I want to thank you for coming on. You've answered a lot of questions. We've been firing at you rapid fire, and I I appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you very much for taking the time. Yes, thank you for your time. Glad to be here. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. (laughs) 